Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. We're in the middle of the parent coaching groups. Week three just ended, and I'm happy with the work we've done so far. The members of the inaugural sessions have done an impressive amount of introspection and application. They've committed to systematic changes for their households, been open about the challenges they face, and applied new strategies to those old challenges. It is my honor to serve them, and I'm proud of the work we've done so far. Side note, I need help getting the word out about this show so that it can be a resource for as many people as possible. The best support you can give is to share it with someone, in person or on the web. Heck, throw it around on social media. I hear people like the Twitter and the Facebook as places to find resources. And please provide us with an iTunes rating and review. But be sure to use a unique username or it won't work. This is episode 30. Today, I'm talking to Meg Flanagan of Mill Kids. Meg is a former teacher turned education consultant. She's a military wife, and she started Mill Kids to support military families. But it has grown into a flourishing education blog. She's also the author of Talk to the Teacher. In today's episode, we talk about similarities between military families and ADHD families, navigating homework, and of course, Meg's book, Talk to the Teacher, and how you can use it to better manage homeschool communication. All right, let's get rolling. Military parents are a population with a need for extra insights about education, and because we move so much, a lot of things get lost in the shuffle. And that would sort of necessitate what I would imagine would be, uh, I guess, unique problem-solving skills that are actually useful for everybody. Yes. Yes. Unique problem solving skills is a great way to put it. Things like uh, keeping track of all of your child's data when you have attended four elementary schools between kindergarten and fifth grade. You need to know where all of those things are. And that's useful for parents with any child, really, but particularly children that have IEPs or 504 plans. I imagine that being in the military and moving as much as you do when you're in the military really just turns up the need for these resources because they're, the problems are more frequent and more intense just because where is my kid's IEP? I can't lose that. I have to have that a year and a half from now when I move as opposed to someone who's going to stay put who can kind of lose their IEP. And it's not the end of the world, but at the same time, don't lose your kid's IEP. Yeah, definitely don't lose that. That is, that is the golden ticket, really. <laughs> if your child is in special education, you need that document. Right. Yeah. And for military parents, whether your child is receiving special education services or is a typically developing child um, or a typically developing child who does not qualify for special education services, as many children with ADHD probably are, 
keeping track of all of those records and all of the information pertaining to your child's education, and then knowing where to go to ask questions is so super important. When you move so often, you have to start from scratch every two to three years with building the relationships with teachers and a school, giving them all of your child's history and backstory. And well, three schools ago is when he qualified. And two schools ago is when they started this strategy and it really works. And once the last school that we were at was, was doing this thing and you have you know, four seconds to tell them all of that. So I'm sort of drawing a few parallels here. One is the exacerbation of fairly typical challenges that comes about because you move so much is not that different from having ADHD. Because when you have ADHD, typical problems become exacerbated just because you have ADHD. Absolutely. And for families that are military families or really any family that is on the move and struggling with ADHD or handling it already, the problems are like quadrupled. Right. Because not only are you moving, you're you're also dealing with the, oh, look, a squirrel or like <laughs> the hyper focus of today I have to pack this box or unpack this box and everything else falls by the wayside or, right. you know, all of the typical struggles of ADD, of ADHD, excuse me. It's crazy. Yeah. Right. You've done what many successful parents in the military, I imagine, do and what many successful parents of kids with ADHD do, which is you've really brought systems and structure to bear on these challenges. I know we're going to wait off on talking about it for a few, for a few minutes, but you've written a book called Talk to the Teacher. Yes. That is a major component of this system that you've created and the structure that you've created because it literally provides parents with sort of scripts and fill in the blank emails structures for them to use for any given event. Everything from my kid bombed a test and usually doesn't to I think I might need a 504 or an IEP. You have pre-generated scripts for parents to use and it's available on Amazon, everybody. But before we get to that, I would really like to poke around a little bit more on the military side of things and what those challenges are and how that led you to developing mill kids and working in the, in the circles that you're working in. So I started out with mill kids just as a tutoring business. I was, I was a newly minted military spouse and a lot of my friends were older than me and they already had kiddos in elementary school. And the common refrain I heard was, gosh, they're just, they're just missing fractions they're missing it. They don't know it. The school they left in Virginia hadn't covered it yet. But by the time we got to California, it was a done deal. They missed it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's very similar with kids with ADHD where, you know, they just checked out for the five minutes that they covered nouns. They just checked out. They were thinking about baseball this afternoon or, you know, how great those sparkle stickers are. Those are real nice sparkle stickers. I like those. <laughs> And they missed it. They just missed that like key component of instruction. And so what I started was a tutoring business designed for originally military kids. And then I ended up branching out into um, the civilian population as well, um, really targeting the kiddos that, that have those missing chunks of information where they tuned out or they moved and they missed it. And then after I took a break from tutoring for a while to actually be a real teacher in the classroom again, another move brought me right back to a temporary situation. And I figured, you know what, I've learned, I've learned a few things, tutoring and teaching and homeschooling kids. And why not 
share that information. And that's kind of how Milk had started. Originally, it was going to be aimed at teachers. But as I kept writing and kept developing things, it seemed a more natural fit for parents who were struggling with creating a system or finding, finding a solution. What do, you, what do you send in for a snack when, when you can't bring peanut butter? What are some allergy-friendly ways that you can you know, do that? What are some simple things that you can do to help your child prepare at home for a test? Or is this really how I get an IEP? Um, what are the exact steps I need to take to do that? As a guy who was recently diagnosed with a peanut allergy, I totally hear you. It's my diet is very different than it used to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have a lifelong dairy allergy, so I am hyper aware in my classroom and just generally of other people's allergies. Yep. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> I'm lactose intolerant. I have a peanut butter allergy. I have a pork allergy, which who's allergic to pork, right? Me, apparently. <laughs> that's, that's the thing that I, I have, I get to do. Um, and I, so I went to the allergist and like got my stuff run and I'm also mm -hmm. allergic to crab, which doesn't matter because I don't eat crab that much and cottonseed oil, which is in processed foods. Interesting. So, yeah. So it, it, I am not as stuffed up and mucusy as I used to be. Just yeah, good. <laughs> it's, that is good. Allergies. I think allergies are kind of so intertwined with how we're learning too. And the more that you know what you're putting in your body, the better you're going to be able to access information and really regulate yourself. Right. Yeah. But that's a whole different discussion. It is. It is. I just, it's an idiot. <laughs> Sometimes we wander away. Right. <laughs> Story. That's my um, whole life. <laughs> um, so where should we start? Let's talk about homework. So I feel like that's a common concern, no matter what age child you're parenting or what kind of child you're parenting or where you're parenting. Mm -hmm. um, the questions I get most or that I see the most on, on Facebook and the Twitters are like posts or pictures of like, can you believe this is my kid's homework? You labored over it for three hours and he's in first grade. Like, and it makes me want to scream. Yes. I'm right there with you. I always have two questions with that. My first question is, did he really labor over it for two hours mm -hmm. or did he wander off for an hour and 45 minutes, even if it was intermittently mm -hmm. and really only worked on this for 15 minutes? And then the other side of that is, are you going to tell the teacher that that happened or are you just going to talk to me about it, like on Facebook? Yeah. And my third question would be, is this a problem of your child actually not understanding or is it a knowledge gap for you, the parent, and where can I direct you to help you solve that problem for yourself? Especially with the new, I mean, new quote unquote math that we have with Common Core and, you know, it's a different style mm -hmm. than when I grew up and when you grew up and when most of my students' parents grew up, it's, it's different. It's not how we learn to do math. I'm going to sidetrack a couple of times before we come back to homework. So bear with me, audience. Yeah, no, um, that's good. You mentioned Common Core. Mm -hmm. And earlier you mentioned that one of the problems military kids experience is they're like, they're in Nebraska mm -hmm. for a little while, and then they move to Virginia, and they're doing very different things, and they missed fractions. With Common Core, is that challenge becoming less? Is, that re is it reducing it in any way? Um, yes and no. So in the states where Common Core standards and materials have been implemented with fidelity, you know, it's, it's not as big of a deal. Things are generally going to be paced the same way. But at the same time, if you're an off, so a lot of military families move over the summer, which is fabulous because you end the school year in one school and you're moving and now you pick it right back up in the next school. Right. I, a lot of families move off cycles. So they're moving in 
November, February, January, Mm -hmm. April, they're moving at really random weird times of the year. And so if they're always moving in April, then that child is always going to miss April. And if the common core math or whatever is covering multiplication in April, whether you're in first grade or third grade, you're going to continue to miss that big chunk of information every single year. Oh, that's rough. That's Mm -hmm. especially with this, like the spiraling that we do now where you, you cover the same, I mean, they cover it multiple times, but the, if your focus, I know that they try to draw those parallels between the different grades of we're going to cover beginning fractions in first grade in whatever month, and we're going to cycle back to it in third grade in the same month ish generally you're gonna your kid's gonna miss that and that's gonna be a problem so it sort of helps in some ways and hinders in others yes but then you also get run into the problem of so like i know massachusetts and california and virginia they have some common core elements but Mm -hmm. it's not common core it's not the it's not like the program it's massachusetts standards which are excellent or Virginia standards, which are excellent or California standards, which are, which are excellent, but they're different. There's those slight tweaks and variations in, in what they're teaching. So in fourth grade in Virginia, it's Virginia studies for social studies. So if you're a fourth grade child in Virginia, you're going to know a whole lot about Jamestown. And in Massachusetts, you're going to know all about Plymouth plantation and, you know, Lexington and Concord. And in California, you're going to know a lot about the Spanish colonial period and, those Catholic missions. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't help you if you're moving to North Carolina in eighth grade for American history. You're not going to have that background knowledge that yeah. you would have gotten in Cal- North Carolina studies in fourth grade. Okay, that makes sense. But I can tell you one thing, though, that if you're a Massachusetts person, if you're going from Massachusetts to somewhere else, you're fine for English. Yes, because as be. a former English teacher, I can tell you that the Common Core English standards are word for word the Massachusetts English standards because I yeah. went through them <laughs> when I was an English teacher. It was like, these are literally word for word. We don't have to worry about anything. Like, we're nailing it because we apparently wrote it. Yep. Yeah. I mean, so Massachusetts leading the way. <laughs> yeah. As yeah. a Massachusetts uh, K 12 student and trained educator, that is, uh, yes. Yeah. Yes, people complain about Massachusetts or it's common core. And I'm like, Massachusetts has been doing this for like 20 years. It's fine. Yeah. See, my audience yeah. is like, why is everyone from Massachusetts? And audience, <laughs> I swear to God, she's, she's in Japan. <laughs> like I couldn't be further away from Massachusetts right now. Right? <laughs> but it's still it Massachusetts, happens. so I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to branch out. <laughs> um, so what are the... What are other questions and thoughts you have around homework and how to support kids who are taking three hours to do what should be a 15-minute assignment? Yeah, so part of it comes down to things that teachers know about good practice for homework, but are not always communicated to parents. So, you know, you get that, that mom or dad who's, you know, gosh, my kids spent hours on this math sheet and whether or not they spent those actual hours consecutively strategically working on the math problem or not, there's still, there's still that two to three hour gap of like, hey, my kid was attempting to work on this and it didn't really happen the way it was supposed to happen. Putting a smart time limit on it is like my number one first tip to any parent is take your child's grade number, whether it's fourth or 12th or eighth, 
multiply that by 10, and that's about how long your child should be spending on all of their homework. And by all of it, I mean math, spelling, reading, writing, anything the teacher has assigned should fit into that whatever number, so fourth grader, 40 minutes, whatever the teacher assigned should fit into that 40 minute block. It doesn't mean 40 minutes of math and then 40 minutes of spelling and then 40 minutes of reading silently or whatever. It's 40 minutes, the end, done. As a father of third grade students, we got, your kids should be reading for 20 minutes and doing math for 10 minutes. And I was like, done, there's your 30 minutes. And then they got other stuff. So then they got like math worksheets and like read the story and answer the questions kind of stuff. And I was just like, okay, so the math worksheet is part of the 10 minutes. And the reading assignment that they have to answer the questions about is part of the 20 minutes. And so I'm going to count it because you get 30 minutes for a whole host of reasons, right? Some of it is me protecting family time and being like, no, 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 like this is family time. And some of it is keeping that stress level low and making them, and trying to help them not hate school. Yeah. And, and another part of it is just, gosh, their brains are still growing and learning and they have been, they've been in a seat mm-hmm. from eight, whenever they got to school, eight, eight thirty nine until that last bell rang, they've had 15, maybe 15, 20 minutes for recess and to shovel some food in their face. They've had whatever brain breaks the teacher gave them. Mm-hmm. To move around the classroom. They've had that transition period if they've gone to a special or uh, you know, 30, 30 to 45 minutes for PE if they had PE that day or you know, music and they got to move around and dance and music. But they've been largely immobile. And I've, that's painful. That's painful as an adult to like sit and work all day and then come home and sit and work in a seat some more. Like, oh, that makes me sad. I don't want my child to be sad. Yeah, I agree with you. And audience, if you're wondering what a brain break is, the episode with Stephanie Letourneau is almost entirely about brain breaks. And you can, parents, you can totally use brain breaks at home too. It's as simple as getting like scheduling them and saying, hey, you know what? You're going to work for five minutes. And after five minutes, I'm going to put on a song and you and I are going to dance crazy in the kitchen for as long as the song lasts. And then we're going to sit back down and finish this for another five minutes. And what, you know, however long, and you're not going to count the brain break time as homework time. It's those five minute chunks. That is the homework time. Right. For me anyway. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So my kid comes home and they've been in school all day and they had to sit down the whole time and they didn't get to move around. And now they're just like, I don't want to do homework. Homework's stupid. I hate it. What do I do? Oh, gosh. Please send that, that child outside or, or like something to, to move. Whether it's you guys play Twister for a little bit or you kick them outside to the park or your backyard or to the sidewalk or wherever. Please take a break before you actually start homework. I know it seems counterintuitive, because your child, you know, it's already in the school mo- mo- mindset and mode and there they should just like slide right into homework and be done. And then you don't have to worry about it later. I'm going to encourage every parent to take that opportunity where they're kind of crazy to please get them outside, do move, do something and make sure it's without a screen. Because if your classroom and your school are like the schools I've taught in, everything is on a screen whether it's the teacher showing something on the smart board, including brain break guidelines, 
or your child's physically working on a tablet or a laptop or a desktop, they are working on a screen all of the time. I would say four to five hours out of their day, they are either looking at a screen or actually physically working on with a technology device. Mm-hmm. No screen time. So read, listen to music, zen out, yoga, run around outside and be crazy, whatever, no screens. Um, actually, when I was teaching, I would go so far as to assign playtime. So playtime was assigned every day. Cool. In my classroom. And what grade did you teach? I taught fourth grade. I taught fourth grade inclusion. So I had everyone from, you know, the super geniusy gifted children to, you know, typical run of the mill to twice exceptional to kiddo with struggling with English. So I feel so strongly about playtime that I assigned it. And it was actually included as part of their 40 minutes. They had 15 minutes of playtime. And then the rest of the time was their work time. Mm-hmm. Because I don't like correcting homework. As a teacher, I hate correcting homework. Okay. I'm, I'm so scatterbrained that and I don't want to take it home with me. <laughs> so if I don't want to do homework, why should you like? Uh. So your homework was playtime for 15 Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I thought go you were outside. Class. No, no, go outside and play, please. You're nine. Nice. You're nine. Goodbye. <laughs> That's awesome. I want my kids <laughs> to have you next year. <laughs> I wish. I'll work on getting stationed in Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> so, what about the kid that just is generally homework resistant? You know what? The truth is, is that the teacher's probably seeing that in school too. This is the kiddo that you know, is assigned or asked to do a writing work thing or whatever, a typical, a typical school assignment, writing, math, worksheet, whatever. And they find everything to do but that. And the teacher probably sees that. The best idea is to shoot the teacher an email and say, hey, I cannot get him to do this without, without tears. I cannot get her to do this without tears. Is there an alternate way that we could do this? Like, could I, could I quiz him out loud or, and videotape it and share it to you? could could we do an art project around it like find some way to make that fun and i don't want to put all of that on the parents plate either because i know i know that we are busy (laughs) between work and you know just parenting because that's hard yep um and like making dinner and doing all of the normal adulting chore things that's really challenging i struggle with that daily so if you can make it fun on your own, cool. If you need some help from your teacher, reach out. This is kind of what we get paid to do is to entice children to learn when they don't want to. Another element that I like to throw into that is um, talking to the kid. And this is a maturity thing. So mm-hmm. maybe around third grade, you can start doing it. I know I did it with my kids, but I tend to be ahead of the curve on this stuff because of what I do. But talking to your kid about like, yeah. I recognize that this is difficult and challenging and I recognize that you don't want to do it. But one of the things that you're learning by doing this homework is how to do things that you don't want to do and how to suffer and struggle and, and sort of be uncomfortable. Suffer is maybe the wrong word. Don't use that word. Um, <laughs> but but how, to, how to be uncomfortable and sort of navigate through that because Absolutely. that's part of what homework teaches. It's not what it's supposed to teach, but it's still part of what it teaches. And there's a, I mean, there's a huge movement to get rid of homework entirely. And while I absolutely believe that homework should be extremely limited in both scope and duration, I'm still an advocate for it because you're not going to, as a grown up, you're not going to like everything you do. I do not like changing diapers, but you know what? I still have to do it. And I don't like, 
having deadlines, but I still have them. And I don't like listening when like a book editor or, or someone is saying that, hey, like this is kind of junky, like you need to re I don't like it, but mm. I still have to do it. And I know at the end of the day, there's that, there's that carrot of, all right, I'm changing the diaper. So now my baby will be happy or, you know, I'm listening to my boss or I'm meeting this deadline. And so I will get paid. And so I think that if we can work, I guess, a reward system into it, whether it's, you know, whatever your child's currency is at the time, whether it's, you know, extra, extra video game time or actual like candy or actual money um, or stickers, whatever, find a way to make this semi-rewarding for your child. If, you know, like, hey, I know this is uncomfortable. I know you hate this or not hate, don't use that word, dislike, you know, you dislike <laughs> this intensely. Um, but you know, if, if you can sit and do your homework every day this week, you know, after school on Friday, when you don't have homework, I'll pick you up. We'll go for an ice cream and we can do that every week until you don't want ice cream anymore. And then we'll switch and we'll make it pizza night or, you know, we can go and rent them. We can pick a new movie on Netflix to watch or whatever. Mm-hmm. I was going to say rent a movie, but we don't do that anymore. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's not a thing. <laughs> I still live in the nineties sometimes. That's fine. <laughs> um, so what about, like you mentioned the new math, right? Mm-hmm. What about when, as parents, we're like, I don't know what to do with this homework. Khan Academy is my number one teaching secret. It's my teaching secret, my learning secret. Every year, I, I am terrible at fractions. Mm-hmm. It does not make sense in my brain. Um, and all of that like new multiplication, like lattice multiplication, yep. I don't understand that. Um, like 17, like actually 17 different people have tried to explain it to me in a way that makes sense to me. And, and at the moment when they're explaining, like, yeah, totally. And then I try to do it on my own. I'm like, no, that is not (laughs) happening at all ever. But if you can get on Khan Academy, it's hundred percent free, sign yourself up for it, sign your child up for it, and then sit and watch those like crazy videos where the things are, you just don't get it watch the video, watch the video. There's like four or five example problems. They correct you if you get it wrong and show you again how to do it in a different way. And then that you earn points and you can do things with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually over on my Milk Kids Ed Facebook page, I just last week shared a inside look of why what I do with Khan Academy as a learner who uses it to brush up on fractions every year. And as a teacher who assigns regularly assigns Khan Academy to my students as a way to, you know, help fill in those gaps and those Mm -hmm. holes and get them to challenge themselves even. So we've hit the point where our kid is officially struggling with homework. We don't understand it. Mm -hmm. We're like, I don't, I don't get the homework. My kid doesn't get the homework. Everyone at home is tapped out. Mm -hmm. How do we talk to the teacher? So the first thing that you should do is put a sticky note on the homework, like a big sticky note Mm -hmm. on the homework and just write down what you're feeling. Dear teacher, we ended at problem, blah, blah, blah. Tony was in tears. Don't make it judgmental and like the teacher's fault, but just Mm kind of be like, I don't get this. My kid doesn't get this. This is where we ended. This is what was happening. The kid was in tears. It was not going well. We called it. Mm -hmm send the homework back with the note on it. At the same time, email the teacher and express it in a nice, pleasant way. Like, hey, thank you so much for, you know, 
whatever something nice that they did recently. So I always call it the sandwich <laughs> method. Like you have to butter the teacher up to get what you want, which sounds kind of weird. But if you think about it, everyone is more likely to say yes to something when they feel good about the conversation that you're having already. So, you know, hey, I really appreciate you taking the extra time last week to help Sarah with multiplication or with editing her story. And so we, we really appreciate that. Last night for homework, we had a real problem with, you know, multiplication. We did not understand the way that problems 14 through 19 were asking Sarah to do the multiplication. I checked mm -hmm. at Khan Academy. We still didn't understand it. So list all the ways that you have tried to educate yourself and your child. Mm -hmm. All the things that the teacher has recommended. We went here, 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 and here. We looked in the book. We don't understand it. I'm sending it back. She did not finish it. We called it. Would you be able to review this strategy with Sarah this week or before the next time she has to use this strategy. Thank you so much. Parents name. Cool. Always end cool. with thank you so much because teachers do a lot <laughs> and you've just asked them to do one more thing. And be patient with the response rate. It might take a little yes. while. That's okay. Yes. Too. Yes. Um, and it's a no parent said it's not a miracle Asking your child's teacher to review a concept with your child doesn't mean it's going to happen, you know, 8 a.m. on Tuesday for Monday's homework. It means it will probably happen that week. Mm -hmm. However, your child may or may not continue to struggle with it. Right. And it might mean that your kid has to stay after school. In yes, order to get correct. That, that could be there too. Correct. Or miss recess or have lunch with the teacher. It's not going to be a magic cure. It's going to be kind of a, a process. Yeah. 10% better. That's what we mm -hmm. want. Let's yeah. slow and steady. We'll win this race, but we, Absolutely. Have, we have to be patient with it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, and real quick sidebar to my listeners, you can totally learn new math. Don't be intimidated. Don't be scared off by the new word because most of it's the same old math you've been doing. There's just a couple of different ways to look at it. The logic behind new math is that previous math was teaching math at a level that didn't break it down as far as you could break it down. So now math is getting taught as more like a language as opposed to a subject. And the new math that everyone is intimidated by is really trying to teach your kids the equivalent of letters and spelling in math so that you can learn how to create math problems and solve math problems in a way that requires flexible thinking that old math didn't really give you. It didn't give you the same kind of flexible thinking. That's why new math. It's not just to make people upset. And really, there's teachers who've been teaching for you know, 30, 40 years that are reteaching, that have learned in the last 10, 15 years, this new math style. It's not just memorization of two plus two is four. It's more like, why is two plus two four? Kind of the same concept of we have red and yellow, and what does that make? Mm -hmm. it's, right. it's not just memorization. It's the experience of doing math. Yeah. And new math has been around for 10 to 15 years. Yeah. It's not like, really new anymore. Yeah. New math is in puberty. <laughs> That's how old it is. <laughs> Learning how to drive. It's going right. to be great. <laughs> so where I was going when I started talking about new math was if mm -hmm. I'm trying to figure this out, like we're, we spent 15 minutes trying to figure out this problem. Do I count that towards my 40 minutes for my fourth grade student? In my brain, yes, because you are actively you are actively learning together. It's not like you were 
fiddling around for 15 minutes. You are actively discussing math. And to me, that is the homework. The whole point of homework is for the child to be reviewing what they've learned in the classroom that day. It's not meant to be something new. It's not meant to be something hard. It's meant to be a review. Hey, today we talked about addition with three numbers on top and two numbers on the bottom. Mm -hmm. That's the homework. Let's say my kids got 20 math problems. Mm -hmm. Get through 12 of them because we had to research four of them. Mm -hmm. Am I writing that sticky note? Yes, you're, you're writing that sticky note. So wherever you call it at the 40 minutes, however, you've decided to divide up that 40 minutes or 30 minutes. And I always advocate heavily for math should be quick and easy, mm -hmm. quick relatively. Um, and then reading should be where the brunt of it is because readers are leaders. Mm -hmm. And in order to understand math, you have to know how to read well. I would, if for the 40 minutes, I would say, you know, a 50-50 split, 20 minutes reading, 20 minutes math. And then, you know, whatever you can get done in that 20 minutes, you put that, you circle a problem, highlight the problem, write that sticky note and say, hey, we got to problem eight. Mm -hmm. We spend a lot of time on problems three, four, and five, like really detail it and say, we struggled with, you know, problems three, four, and five. We, you know, we had to, we had to go back to Khan Academy several times. We had to go back to the book several times. We went to a lot of books now have like the online classroom component. Like we went to that. We went to the online classroom. We watched YouTube videos about it. We, we researched those problems for a good bit of time. Like, I want you to know that my child is struggling with those problems. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times as a teacher, I'll get them the problems back and be like, ooh, they only got to problem 12 out of 20. Like, I'm going to count it because you did some homework and that's great. That's the point. Um, but I don't know if that, like, why you got to problem 12. So the more that parents are sharing with the teacher the more the teacher can then twist the, that day's lesson or the next day's lesson to revisit the problems where many children or several children have struggled. Right. And especially I've worked with plenty of teachers who would not give credit for the 12 out of 20. Yeah, I've worked with teachers who might give you half credit and plenty who would give you no credit and they're going to fault the kid. Mm -hmm. So that sticky note puts the fault on the parent. It's, yes. Or, yes. My adult judgment. As opposed to yeah. the kids saying, I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. And, and the best way to anticipate that or, or prepare the teacher for the fact that you as the parent are making that parental decision of, you know what, my kid has tapped out. They are done. We're calling it. Is to just, you know, send them an email at the beginning of the year and say, hey, per, you can, whatever, you can say my name, per Meg Flanagan's advice, she is recommending, or the NEA, the National Education Association, recommends PTO as minutes. Well. Yeah, the PTO, PTA, all of those great organizations that do education research recommend that my child in this grade only do this many minutes of homework. And you could even go back. As a parent, I have seen that my child does not do well. They react negatively to whatever, to excessive homework and say, I am calling it every night at this time. Mm -hmm. uh, this many minutes, I am calling it and I will send you, I will send you an email, write you a sticky note, write in the agenda book, whatever. Just, just so you know, this is what I'm doing. And as a teacher, I would say, you know what, that's great for you. That's awesome. Kudos to you for taking ownership of your kid's homework time of setting reasonable time limits and perfect. Your kid gets a check for homework as long as they've attempted, made a valiant concerted attempt at the homework. Now, what about in upper, like higher grades? Cause we've sort of been 
coasting around in elementary school land. What about yeah. like eighth grade freshman year when all of a sudden I have a project that I have to do? Eighth grade high school, those like upper grades. I'm going to tell you that I don't have a ton of experience there because I am an elementary special ed teacher. So mm -hmm. that's kind of my comfort zone. But really in middle school, your child should be starting to take over ownership of the homework time. So elementary school to me is the training grounds of you as the parent setting those reasonable limits, getting your child used to what uncomfortable homework feels like, getting them used to the, you know, the gradual release of, okay, your fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, you've got 40, 50, 60 minutes. I'm giving you that time to make those decisions for yourself. I'll call it for you. I'll monitor you. But then in the seventh grade, eighth grade and up, it's really, hey, you've got, to, you've got to use those time management skills. You've got to use those systems that I've been teaching you for the last six years to kind of self-manage, which is very challenging for students with ADHD. And if they're not ready to do that yet, parents go ahead and support yes. them but constantly be looking for ways to pull back. Yes. Because th yes. that 7th, 8th, ninth grade land is when you're either overly helicoptering or you're giving the kid the independence that they need. And it's mm -hmm. a really hard call. It's really hard to figure out where that line is. Err on the side of letting go. Yes. Because worst case scenario, your kid bombs a couple tests, especially in middle school. In middle school, who cares? High school, you can start worry, worrying about college transcripts and stuff, I guess, yeah. if you really want to. But err on the side of letting go, see what happens, and then come back in with support if necessary. Don't be afraid to hire a tutor and outsource yes. that support if you can. Yes, absolutely. A tutor is great. Or even, even someone to come in and kind of, not even a tutor, but just a coach, like a homework coach, which sounds kind of weird. Like not someone who's teaching your child. Yeah, I, yeah. I do that. That's a piece of the work that I do. Ditto. Yeah. I, I find, find like a lot of parents and a lot of older children just, they're so used to those like math worksheets in elementary school and the beginning of middle school that suddenly they're handed an at-home project and they're kind of, they're just taken aback. They don't really know what to do with that or how to chunk it. The chunking side is huge. Mm -hmm. And sometimes teachers over, like they sort of over prepare the assignment. I was working with a kid this past school year, who's had a paper to write that was, I think it wound up being like maybe eight pages long. It was kind of long for eighth grade, but it wasn't that crazy. But the resource documents that he had were like 35 pages of material. And I was like, that's insane. Like this is three or four times more pages than he's going to write. And, and a lot of it, I think, is the nature of teachers not printing paper out anymore. They'd, mm -hmm. So they just keep, they're like, oh, this problem happened. And I think the teacher just kept adding stuff to fix and address problems that kids are encountering over the years mm -hmm. and never realized just how long his source material or his source mm -hmm. documents were because he didn't print it out. And if he had been printing them out, he would have been like, this is ridiculous. I can't give one kid 35 pieces of paper to, uh, and that's like, that's insane. That's 3,500 pages if I give it to all my kids. Yes. That's, that's crazy. But now that it lives on the internet, it's less obvious. Yes. Yes. And that's why I, I usually go to videos. Like if I have, if I have an assignment, so teaching, in, I taught in Virginia for a while and teaching Virginia studies, I went, I just did videos like, Hey, watch this YouTube video. It's mm -hmm. two minutes about Jamestown. Hey, watch this video. Go to this website. Like 
do like make it easy, make it as easy as possible. So you sort of half flipped your classroom. It sounds like I did. Yeah. I used, I used a lot of, um, Schoology. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar. Yeah. So for parents, it's like Facebook, but like really locked down and just for, just for schools. So you have to have a secure login to get into the Schoology classroom. And then Mm -hmm. I put everything on there so that if a parent had a question, they just had to go to like the math folder for that chapter, like math multiplication. And there was a direct link to the math for Khan Academy for that chapter and a direct link to the book stuff and then a direct link to whatever YouTube videos I could find about it. Cool. So how do we talk to our teacher more generally? Let's, let's start poking around in the book a little bit. So more generally, butter them up, butter your teachers up, make them feel good about what they're doing because teachers right now, they're taking a lot of flack. They are, especially in America, um, living in Japan, teachers are revered. You do like parents do not question their child's teacher. Mm-hmm. It is not okay. Like school is taken very seriously from a very young age. If the child's teacher says your child is struggling in multiplication, the parents are on that. And they have enrolled that child in Kumon. They've hired a private tutor. They're going, you know, 16 extra miles to get that child the help they need so that they can catch up. Um, It's also a different education system where they have tracking still. So mm-hmm. kids are kids are tracked, and depending on how they test in elementary school, they're sent to certain middle schools. Depending how they test in those middle schools, they're sent to certain high schools for different vocations and different a vocational school, college prep school, uh, whatever school. There's like tons of different kinds of high schools, which is mm-hmm. really cool. But teachers are revered. Um, I feel like we've kind of gotten away from the fact that teachers are professionals with advanced degrees in America that we have taken tons of qualification tests that, you know, we put, we put, I put a decade of my life into being a teacher. I'm sure you have too. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of work. One of the things that's fascinating to me, just to go to the side a second real quick is I get much more credit for the entrepreneurial side of what I do. The like, Oh, you're building a business and all that stuff. And you've given workshops for people and blah, 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 than I ever got for being a teacher. And it's amazing to me because it's this, it like, I probably made more of a difference as a teacher because, well, maybe not now because my reach is expanding because of the podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, But as a teacher, I was helping out a hundred kids a year, but it's Mm -hmm. amazing to me the difference in how I'm treated by, by people. It's a big difference, like having, having my own website and writing the book and going on other people's podcasts and sharing information this way. I feel like people have given me a lot more respect mm-hmm. than, than not necessarily as a teacher because I ta- did teach a lot of military children and kind of the culture mm-hmm. of respecting teachers as positions of authority right. is very much ingrained in the military just because that's how they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but teaching teaching generally, I feel like is under attack. I don't even necessarily mean parents. I mean like, Hey, what do you do? I'm a teacher. Oh, Hey, what do you do? I'm an ADHD coach. What's that? Oh, well, I like help adults and children affected by ADHD. Yeah. Oh, really? Some of it's, yeah. Some of it's that it's unique, but there's a different tone. There's a different like, Oh, you're a teacher versus, Oh, you do this thing that I've never heard of. Yeah, there's. I'm, I remember watching that, um, the slam poetry of like the what do teachers make? Do you ever watch yep, that a few yep, years yep. ago? 
like, man, that is, that is it in a nutshell of, you know, people just kind of thinking they know how to teach, but never having taught or been taught how to teach. Yeah. Cause everyone's been through school. So they're like, everyone's I know what that's like. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> don't. I'm sorry. I say that with love and respect, but you don't know. <laughs> you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. Um, so just coming at it as parents with, you know, my child's teacher is a professional. They have gone to at least four years of college and at least four to six subject level professional exams in order mm -hmm. to teach. If uh, most teachers, I feel like now have um, at least a master's, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. I mean, in Massachusetts, it's kind of a, a prerequisite. Like, yeah, I have two of them. Yeah. I mean, if I ever come back and teach in Massachusetts, I'm, I'm going to have to get another master's or a doctorate. Like there's no way around it right. with how our, with how our licensing laws are written. Sort of shifting back to the, to the yeah. book. One of the things that I, one of the things, there's a lot of things I liked about this book. Thanks. Most of it is the structural components that you have in this book that I, I love the scripts for parents to use. And it's, it's everything from behavior concerns to special education to emailing about grades and questions about assignments. But also, like, you get into how to craft subject lines so that the teacher is going to read that email first and have a better idea of what they're getting into. And the fact that you break down things like, here's what a meet-your-teacher night is versus a parent-teacher conference. And how do we differentiate those two and what expectations are different between the two types of go to school evenings? Yeah. Um, and you talk about the school hierarchy and who's responsible for what, all of which is incredibly useful for parents to have. It's great information. Knowing that school hierarchy, it will save you as a parent. I can't tell you how many times I've had personally had parents jump me and jump the assistant principal to go directly to the principal with a complaint that I could have solved in, you know, a 30 minute parent teacher meeting right? with you. If you had just come to me and said, Hey, this is my concern. I would have said, okay, here's six ways we can solve that mm -hmm. right now. You didn't need to go to the principal, but yeah. because you did, you questioned my professional judgment. Now I, now I, as the teacher, not necessarily me using the universal eye, the teacher is more likely to be resistant to going that extra mile for your child because they think you're pushy. Right. They think you're pushy. They think you're judging them. They, they think you don't trust them. Why would, why would they go that extra mile for your child? And it's always hairy. Like this particular area is always tricky for me because ADHD is one of the diagnoses that gets mistreated the most. Your ADHD kid does not qualify for an IEP unless there's something else going on. They really should qualify for an IEP, but they don't. Mm -hmm. Yep. So philosophically and reality-wise, it should be an IEP, but it's not. Um, so they get a 504 instead, mm -hmm. which is, depending on the school, totally fine or a complete waste of time. Yes. And anywhere in between. And so some parents, I'm like, nah, totally CC the principal on everything. Or yeah. maybe BCC. Sometimes you got to do it. <clears throat> like. Yep. And other school systems, I'm like, just talk to the teacher. Yeah. And sometimes it just depends on the teacher. You can be in the same school and you're like, Mrs. Jones, 
CC the principal. <laughs> Mrs. Mm-hmm. Smith, totally just talk to Mrs. Smith. She's cool. Yeah, she's fine. Yeah. 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 As an advocate, as some as a special education advocate, my mantra is make that paper trail and make it count. If you think it's gonna be adversarial or you know, you've tried to get the teacher on your side and you have the paper trail to back it up of those emails saying, My child is struggling, my child is struggling, hey, my child is struggling nothing is happening. There's no response. There's nothing coming back from the teacher. Immediately, Mrs. Smith, Mr. Smith, my child is struggling. I have contacted you on this day, this day, this day, and this day, and I have not gotten any word back about what you're doing. And I would put that principal or AP in the CC line so that that teacher now knows, my supervisor knows that I am ignoring this child. But I wouldn't do that right off the bat. I wouldn't do that the first time. But always email the teacher. Oh, yes. Now you have a tr- record that you can yeah, then send to the principal trail. later if you have to. Yes. Even if you're having that face-to-face meeting, as a teacher, I do it. And then as an advocate, I, have, I coach my parents to do it is, hey, we've had this face-to-face meeting. I'm not recording it mm-hmm. because you can't in many states. Right. Um, but I'm going to send that email immediately after. Hey, you know, as a teacher, thanks for meeting with me about your daughter, Susie. We discussed these four things. These are the six things I'm going to do in the classroom starting tomorrow. I'll check back in with you in a week and then set a reminder of I'm going to check back in with you. And if it's a child with an IEP or a child that I know has potentially adversarial parents, I'm going to CC their case manager Mm -hmm. or the 504 plan coordinator or the school counselor or the principal. That way the parents know that I'm already looping that third person or fourth person or fifth person into the situation so that they know I have someone I'm accountable to. Right. And you're protecting yourself too. Absolutely. And as parents do that too. If you think it's going to be, if you think it's going to be a thing or if you're working with an advocate or a coach, BCC or CC that coach and advocate on every single email you send because they need to know what's happening with your child. And you have in your book, it's on page 62. (laughs) <laughs> just a school communication log. Here's the, the date. Here's how we communicated. Was it email? Was it phone? Was it a meeting? What was the reason for it? Who was the teacher involved? And you even have what script page number from the book. Because yes. like, did we use one of these scripts? Let's throw that on there because it saves some, some time and helps me shorten mm-hmm. so, sort of yep. shorten what it was that we talked about. And then yeah. after that, you've got phone call record sheets and email notes parent-teacher conference planning worksheets, parent-teacher conference notes. So you've really built a structure for the people who buy this book to be able to record what they've done in a way that means they don't have to recreate the wheel for this data collection. They can just photocopy stuff out of the book. And it's encouraging them to keep that record, because, which is especially useful for folks with ADHD, because we are not going to keep a record if we don't know how to do it and we don't have a structure to put that record mm-hmm. in. And this book will give you that record. Yeah, it's built right in. It's, I mean, it's what I've used as a teacher and as a parent. I mean, this is those, those types of planning sheets. Um, that's what I use to plan parent-teacher conferences myself. I, I write down for every single child, this is the child's name. These are the six, like, you know, literally the checkbox. These are the six things I need to talk about. And then write my narrative that I'm going to communicate to the parent of mm-hmm. what I need to tell you. And then right. I keep that. I keep that for the whole year. So I have at the end of the year, a very detailed record of, Every single time that I talked to your child or dealt with your child, 
and I will pull that out and show you all of the things that we talked about for the whole year. So just being mindful of time. Do you have any ending essentials around homework or talking to the teacher or any of the things that we talked about that you would like to share with the audience? I think the most important thing is just to, is to know your child, know yourself and know your teacher. You guys are all working together as three different legs on a stool to develop a whole human being, your child, who is well-rounded knowledge-wise and you know, with activity and with knowing themselves as a person and being able to regulate. And so the more that you, the parent, and work with the teacher in a respectful cooperative way where you're both bringing your expert knowledge to the table, the better off your child is going to be. Whether your child is typically developing, has ADHD, military, civilian, whatever, the more that you're willing to start fresh every school year with a new teacher, with a new team, the better. Yeah. And, and we did sort of lean in a little bit towards the potential for adversarial mm-hmm. relationships just because that's the worst case scenario. It is. But that is not the expectation. And we should probably make that clear. Like everyone's on the same team. We're all trying to help your child succeed. Mm-hmm. And so best case scenario, the relationship will not be adversarial. And this structure that, because that's another, another thing that's great about this book is, yes, the structure is great if it's adversarial, but the structure is also great if it's not. Mm-hmm. Folks with ADHD sometimes struggle to put their thoughts together in a way that is useful and is meaningful and sometimes have trouble just remembering things. Having a structure to record all of those thoughts and then bring them with you, even if like flowers come out of your teacher's ears because she's that (laughs) wonderful, you still want to be able to address what's challenging. Exactly. And even if you have a good relationship with the teacher, I know that there are many parents I've had a, a great relationship with, but the emails to me have been so blunt. Like, you didn't teach my child how to do this. Well, yes, I did. And if you had said it in a different way, I would have been able to respond to you and I wouldn't have felt so like pushed back. Mm-hmm. And we could have, like, that's a setback to our relationship to, to building that. So if you have the structure to write the email, that's a way that will you know, invite your teacher to participate with you in the, your child's learning and at home with homework or whatever, the less likely it will become adversarial. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at adhdessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, adhdessentials.com, and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.